Welcome to the Go Big Redcast with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I am with Honky. Well, unfortunately, tonight is my last Redcast. Uh, I have one more adventure left in me, and I'm following Mike Riley down to San Antonio to start up a podcast there. That's going to be a huge success. I really think that's going to work out well for you. It's going to be really neat. (laughs) I'm also with Boomer. Well, I'd just like to remind our Redcast listeners to please stick around towards the end of the show where we'll be announcing how you can sponsor a Redcast locker and have your name staring at us in the face every day as we change. (laughs) That's not creepy at all, Boomer. Not Not at all. Row the boat. No, we need funding, so I'm all for it if someone wants to go this route. Uh, I'm also with Mac. What's up, Redcasters? I'm joined here with Honky in McGuire's debut studio. We're all wired up here, hoping this will go well, so bear with if there's any technical difficulties or difficulties. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Well, uh, good to hear everybody's voices again. It's been a little while. Uh, we took a few weeks off there. You know, there's summer vacations and other stuff going on. Um, I'm sure some of the the Redcast uh, followers uh, saw Honky uh, capture three more state capital flags on a trip and various other activities. Uh, but we're excited to have be back uh, for another Redcast here over the summer. Why don't we uh, just kind of get warmed up a little bit here with some scarlet colored glasses? Uh, a lot of things have happened since our last show. So Honky, you just kind of want to run through some of the, the happenings uh, in Lincoln over the last month or so? Yeah, I guess starting with just today, we're recording on Monday, July 9th, and today they made the official announcement on two more players that uh, have left the team, uh, Matt Snyder and David Inglehop. So we were at 85. According to all of our tracking up until that point, we were at perfectly at 85 scholarships. As we ended the last show, we said we still expected some attrition. That attrition just happened today with two guys. It still wouldn't shock me if there was another one or two, but uh, we're not speculating on who or anything. We're just saying that I can see another one or two. And what that allows us to do is to go into fall camp, have a couple of extra openings for some of these walk-ons that have been working their tail off over the offseason. And ideally, I would personally, I'd like to see us somewhere around 81, 82 scholarships going into August and that would give us some of that opportunity we've already mentioned some of the guys on previous shows that could be you know earning those so what are your kind of thoughts there Mac well I I think it just it'll allow this coaching staff to have a little bit of flexibility and I think they'll try to keep some of that going into about as late into fall camp as they honestly can Uh, I know we brought this up before but Mike Hughes was such a late addition and so valuable that they're just going to kind of keep their eyes open for something like that yes I think there's probably guys walk-ons deserving of a scholarship role. And I think with the summer program uh, winding down and, and we're going to see some uh, some of that kind of manifest itself with, with guys being awarded stuff. So, yeah, the guys that left, I mean, we hate to see them go. I mean, obviously you, wanna, you always say that. But uh, these were not unexpected departures necessarily. Again, it comes down to fit on some of these on, on some of the situations. So, Seriously, yeah. I, I, I hate to sound – crass or whatever but there isn't a guy that left we've had every other offseason we've had unexpected guys leave where it's like oh I really wish that guy stuck around and I don't mean anything disparaging to the guys that left it's just that they were almost all predictable they were at positions like a Ben Miles I don't have any issue with Ben Miles but he was at a position where it was totally expected or in this case with the tight ends you could see it in the spring game with Jack Stoll definitely taking the reins of the position but also Raftel and, and, and Austin Allen are starting to really uh, you know, become players out there, it, it starts to become predictable. And I don't feel like we've lost anybody that probably would have been almost in the too deep across the board. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm going to give – I do think that Coach Frost and the staff plays a role in that. I don't think that they are kicking guys off the team. I don't think they're pulling scholarships. But I think they're having honest, frank discussions with players. And, you know, those discussions with the players uh, – Okay, Honk, so – you're saying that you're not really missing anybody that has left the program. So, Mac, uh, do you agree with that? Is there anybody that has left over the last seven months that you felt ultimately would have been a significant contributor uh, to the program? Well, the good news on that, Dave, is when you are a four-win program 
there's really nobody on your team. <laughs> I mean, let's face it, who are we going to lose? What? I mean, short of Stanley Morgan, who's our only bona fide guy, I mean, there's a, to, <laughs> wow. no, no, we're not going to miss any single one of these guys that have left. But to Honky's point, they are also not very good fits with our program. Anymore. Well, let me rephrase it another, <laughs> another way then. And Honky, maybe you can answer this one. Of the guys who have left, who will actually land at another Power 5 program? Well, obviously a guy like Ben Miles already has landed at A&M. So Perfect. I, I think they're just good examples of where you just need to get the right fit. I, I personally, there are moments where we talk about last year's team being 4-8, and eight, and, and one of the reasons I'm, I'm careful and probably overly careful how I talk about the guys is that we have some really good players on this team. And and I think they were really good players in a lot of cases a year ago, but but if you're not in great shape, and that's the Duval factor. Yeah. If it's not a great scheme, that's the that's the coordinators factor. If it's not great leadership from the top, that's the frost factor. There's a lot of factors that can take really good players that have already been in the program and take them to that next level. And that's no different than UCF with many of the same players who went 0 and twelve were on a team that went twelve and 0. That's that's where I do feel like we have good players, a lot of good players coming back. These, these particular 10 to 12 guys that left, they're, it's not that they're bad players. They're probably bad fits, well, or they're just guys that they weren't going to be playing. To well, there's a, couple of them, there's a couple of them guys that are, aren't even going to be playing football, right? I mean, yeah. uh, Decker has, has left football, and right. I, my understanding is Matt Snyder is going to continue to be at Nebraska as a student, but mm-hmm. not in, as an athlete. So there's a couple of examples where maybe it's just the, the level of competition and what you have to, to do to put in to be a part of this program just doesn't, isn't what those guys were ready to do. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think, I think to your point, Hawk, that we might have good football players. I don't know. I don't know if I'd even say that just yet because I haven't seen us play very good football. We might have some football talent on our team, and that will be the frost effect, the coordinator effect, and everything like that. So I don't know who our players are, short of Morgan and short of Spielman. You know, there's a few select guys, but sure. we need to pull the player out of our, of our talent. Uh, Matt Snyder is a great example, Dave, because, I mean, he was a contested win over Michigan. You know, like when yep. we got him, Michigan Harbaugh was after that guy. And, you know, just another miss on Nebraska. I mean, we win that battle. Yay. And then like, three short years later, he's not even going to well, play football. And that's that yep. gets back to the point is, is it a miss on our point or did we did we hit and get the player, but we did nothing with the player? I mean, that's a whole separate discussion. But what I do think that Husker fans are going to feel good about and this is my, my point earlier with Frost, is that I don't feel like they're kicking guys off the team. What they're doing is they're, they're setting a culture right now where if you're, not, if you're not 100% bought in, if you don't love football anymore, and we've had a number of guys that have just kind of quit football, this is not going to be fun to just be a part yeah. of if you aren't committed. And I, the guy that always comes to mind with that is Bo Davis. Yeah. The guy that, you know, it's kind of like it was country club life back in the mid-2000s in a West Coast system as a backup quarterback. You can just show up. Working out isn't that important. You're not really yeah. probably getting that many reps <laughs> in practice. Right now, it's hard to be a third or fourth string guy on this team because you're still going to have to be running. We've seen yep. the practice. You're going to be running. You're going to be going against first teamers. It's You're not kicked off the team, but if you don't love it, it's not going to be fun. It's going to take your very best effort just to be on the team. That doesn't that doesn't include yep. any kind of starting playing time anything. It take, it's going to take minimum your your 100% of your effort just to stay on the squad. And if you're not then I mean it's going to show up pretty quickly. Now, yep. That's kind of a cutthroat culture you know the way it but, sounds but the way they do it mm-hmm. is they make it in a fun environment. They they create this competition and it's not like it's not misery for mm-hmm. these guys, if you looked at UCF over the last year, man, they were having fun. Those guys were having a lot of fun playing, and that's the difference. They're, and if you get enough of those guys, and you know how much we love PJ and rowing the boat and all that <laughs> stuff, but, I mean, if you get enough of those guys going in that direction, it makes th- – that would be the difference. Yeah, I, and I, when I say that, you know, Frost isn't just kicking guys off the team, I'm referencing that to a guy like Saban or the, the SEC mentality sure. of a player that, you know, has been working their tail off, but they just aren't playing, and after two seasons they're just – they, they walk into the coach's office and they say, your scholarship's gone. I don't see that happening here. I just see a, a culture of you're going to work your tail off here, you're going to like it, and if you're going to love doing it. it it's going to be yeah. fun. And if it's not fun, 
or if you're not a good the, fit, then you're, you're the the on. culture uh, change and the shift. Uh, what do you guys think about the freshman locker rooms? I love it. I love it. I think it's one more fact, one more standalone feature that this coaching staff seems to have wisdom beyond their years that they are already making it clear to whoever they're going after and like the, the kind of guy they're going after that hey when you get here you're part of this freshman class this is the this is the hierarchy this is what you've got to do nothing is guaranteed to you not even a locker spot with the varsity you get the freshman locker room and we'll see what you do when you get there and i mean that attitude it doesn't sound revolutionary, but, but you know, like in the climate of today and the, and the patting on the back and the social media and the release videos and these guys just being bent over backwards and catered to, it's, it's, it's refreshing to my ears for sure. Well, and, and it's not revolutionary because it was being done here 20 years ago. And I think that's a key piece of this is that it, it does two things. It bonds together the freshmen that, that are coming in. They're, they are locked, you know, in a locker room together. They start bonding from day one, but also it creates just one more bit of competition, one more bit of, I want to get to that other locker room. And what I happens wanna... on that day that they do? You actually accomplish something yeah. when you move up. That'll be... It, it, I mean, I, I don't even want to get into the black shirt right. thing, but the black shirt thing, you know, it used to be, you know, how special it was that day they got it and all this kind of stuff. Well, it's something because it built up over time and, mm-hmm. and month after month and you desire to be there. And then now, you know, we have freshmen that come in, they just get handed to them you know, in their first year. That was happening. And th- there's not enough time to really even know what you got. Well, here... You're going to be here for a year before you're even in that the big locker room, the fancy one, the right. one with the N on the on the ceiling. You know, you're not going to be in there until you do so many things right and you, you move your way up there. And it's just it breeds competition, and that sounds a whole heck of a lot like what Frost and Duvall and those guys have been talking about: compete, compete, compete. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see going forward if if what sounds like old-fashioned kind of hokey principles. You know, you earn your way, and you you know that that walk to the varsity locker room, you know, if, if those things, you know, we, it sounds like today that people are like, oh, that's outdated, and, you know, that's not what these kids are after. But I'll be curious to see how, if that really does breed that culture and what that manifests like, because mm-hmm. I like the way it sounds. It makes a lot of sense to me. And Seems I mean, like the um, off-season conditioning is also starting to allow some some leadership to, to rise up, right? Is there anybody that's kind of stood out to you um, over the summer with some of the stuff you've seen on social media or on websites on who's taking the lead in, in the uh, weight room? Well, Damian Jackson, I mean, if we're talking about an awesome story, the, the Navy SEAL guy, if, if anyone's seen his pictures recently on, on social media, he is ridiculous. He has gotten huge, you know, and you talking about a guy who's transforming his body over the offseason. And then you look at a guy like Ben Stilley. And then you and then they show all these videos of these guys, these wide receivers jumping over these hurdles from a lateral movement. I mean, the gains, again, almost make me sick to my stomach because I feel like they're coming from such a wretched place to begin with. Yeah. But I take comfort in the fact that some of these guys are freshmen and actually just getting here. I hate the gains that our seniors are making, you know, just yeah. in that, it, in that the realm. Fr- freedom coming out and now yeah, he's – freedom's like – Squat. squat like 700 pounds now i mean that's it, awesome Listen, it's great it's that awesome. he is it's we wish that he was doing that three years ago right or, or deshaun neal came out today and he, he right. tweeted out some some of his stats and this is incredible what these guys have done i think it was peyton newell that we talked about during the right during the the off season of february and march he put on like what 17 pounds of muscle <laughs> and i remember talking with you mac and you understand the you know the physical fitness part piece of this a hell, hell of a lot more than me but you were talking about like guys that are four years into a program shouldn't be putting on 70 pounds of muscle not at that time no. it's, that's the those are the gains you expect early in the career so what these guys have done they're almost all like redshirt freshmen right now according to Duvall. this is all their first off season with them and we're seeing some incredible results and those are the things that in 2018 if we're going to see a big difference, mm-hmm. it's it starts there. We will be a better team next year, for, and we will be a more athletic team, a more talented team, everything, because the guys, even the exact same players, they're just going to flat out be better. Yeah, Damian Jackson, if he doesn't make the, like the football field this year, at some point he should have a career in WWE or something, right? I mean, the guy looks jacked. Yeah, that Absolutely. is the truth. 
All right, guys, other things on, on kind of uh, scholar colored glasses here, uh, any of the recruiting news or other tidbits of information? Well, Scott Frost in the Grand Canyon, that type of stuff. <laughs> Scott Frost is everywhere. <laughs> but, um, you know, one of those things I was you're speaking about, Duvall, and, the, and their, their confidence and what they can do with these bodies, if you look at the recruits right now, especially our linemen that we're getting, if you notice, we're getting kind of these longer, leaner, the 250, 260 guys that aren't on a lot of guys' radar, but, but they covet long, lean athletes. That's what they want. And, and, and you'll watch these guys, that Anderson kid that we just got. Uh, that segues perfectly in into that. In two years, in two years, that guy is going to be, he'll be a five-star, whatever you want to call that. You know, He'll be the guy that everybody wants. And, and he does that with the benefit of never having to lose all that crappy weight that a lot of these, yeah. these seniors get. just to, Because they have to make these height weight, it's stupid. You know, it's part of playing that camp circuit and everything like that. This guy is a lean athlete, and he's going to be point, sculpted Mac. from the ground up. That's what Ben Stilley was. Correct. Ben Stilley wasn't a 300-pound defensive end coming in here or 280-pound defensive end. He was what I would consider what we used to get. The You know, a, a Wistrom came in here and was 225 pounds, guy, yeah. but, but built himself into the, to what he was. And uh, to go over some of those new recruits to your uh, question there, Dave, Matthew Anderson is one of them, yep. and, and he's a no-star. He's not even a two-star. He's a no-star on Rivals rankings right now. And even the, to the credit of, I think, uh, Callahan, those guys, they've kind of – they've even said, like, what are you doing, Rivals? Like, come on, like, get, yeah. Get, yeah. get this guy a star, man. But uh, he's 6'7", 250, and that's a, a great frame to build from. He's one not the, a, a completed, you know, package already. Quick, quick note on recruiting rankings for those who don't follow it religiously. A lot of way these guys get their rankings built up is by attending a lot of these camps. Some kids don't do that. So it's a a circuit, man. You can play it just like it's like a McDonald's All-American. That's how you get your name. That's how you build your brand. Some kids don't feel the need to do it. And I feel like that's a lot of what we're recruiting, those kids who don't try to build a brand. Yeah. Well, the other two recruits we got since we last done a show was uh, Jamie Nance, and that was just uh, the other day. Uh, he's a, a six foot, 160 pound receiver from Oklahoma. He had offers from Ole Miss, Mississippi State, TCU, Notre Dame, and the other one is a running back from Georgia, Ronald Thompson, Tompkins, and uh, another. You know, so he's a Georgia kid. And Never very, sleep on a Georgia running back. Never and, sleep. <laughs> and it's the impressive scholarship list. I mean, you name it: the SEC, any one of them, Alabama, LSU, Auburn, Florida. They all had offers there. So that's. That's a little bit of an update just kind of on the overall roster, where we're at, uh, where we're at in recruiting. But uh, things are going good right now, and we're about three weeks three weeks away or so from, yeah. the, from the start like, of camp. It looks like about every cycle we're going to recruit anywhere between 15 to 22 duck R position guys. <laughs> and, and whatever, however else that fills out. That's right. Duck R is a very important position or positions, however you like to see Jeez. it. But it is – uh, one where you need a lot of bodies, apparently. If you're between uh, five ten, six foot, you know, 180 to 190 pounds, Duckar. Duckar. <laughs> and yeah. I think they just like recruiting that because the the player wants to be Duckar, yeah. right? They, we actually need our own own term, though, right? We need Husker R. Husker R. Is that what you're looking Some for? Huskar. It'd be, it'd be, yeah. It would be nice if they could Husker it up, but they'll probably be one of those things that stays like the Oklahoma drill, stays a Duckar. That's true. It's true. All right, well, I think I might have a couple follow-up questions for Mac uh, on this as we go a little bit farther on the on this, uh, college football landscape on, on the recruiting and, and the type of players that we're getting right now and what that actually means, but that's some uh, good stuff. Sweep left. All right, uh, next on the Go Big Redcast. Uh, I said that was a few minutes. Uh, it was a few seconds for our podcast listeners, but uh, we're, we're back at this and refreshed. And, uh, you know, this is a summer show. And summer shows, we get to talk about pretty much anything we want. Uh, and uh, can uh, wax poetic on certain things. And that's not just for the Redcast. Pretty much any podcast or radio show talking college football this time of year gets to go on and, and uh, talk about whatever they want. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I want to kind of frame this conversation a little bit right now, saying, you know, going forward... You know, what will be Nebraska's position in the college football world under Scott Frost in year one and then moving forward, year two, three, four? How are we going to kind of change um, and move up the ladder, hopefully, back into a position that we feel 
that we uh, you know rightfully belong. If you look at the college football playoff in its infancy here over the first several years, it has been a select club, Boomer. I I think I saw a stat where something like 75% of all the uh, you know, actual playoff bids have only gone to, to four teams. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's about right. At, yeah. it, it, it's Alabama, obviously, Ohio State, Clemson. Clemson. Yeah, that's basically it. Just those yeah. three, maybe, right? Yeah. Um, you know, what's your... You know, and and there's also this time of year, it, you can uh, pretty much play the season out with all of the the stats and numbers. I've been looking through my Phil Steele magazine. He has all of our he has predictions on how many yards we're going to gain this year and how many yards we're going to give up. There's the Massey Index telling us that we're going to win 4.8 games this year. ESPN, you name it. Um, uh, what do you think about all the kind of uh, uh, the numbers that that uh, seem to point to the fact that we're probably going to see those three teams. Actually, Oklahoma is another one, right? Yeah. Uh, of those four teams, Oklahoma, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson are all going just going to go back to the playoff. Yeah. First off, I'd I'd like to thank Massey and uh, Phil Steele and all those guys for running these numbers and just telling everyone what they're going to do next season. That's a real time saver for everybody, so we can just you know take the season off and cut down on injuries and. Time spent for everybody, so definite plus there. So thanks, That's guys. That's one way to reduce concussions. It really does. Right? That's the way to really, uh, really take care of that problem with uh, college football. Just simulate everything. But, but yeah, you're kind of right there, Dave. I mean, the the playoffs have been so one-sided, just with the teams that are there. And you know, we've talked about that before. Um, and I think the big challenge with that is just so much of college football, and at least the playoff rankings, is based on perception, and a lot of that is built in this preseason. You know, everyone expects Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson to be good. So they are going to kind of get that extra benefit of the doubt when it comes to this. And a lot of that perception does come from, you know, preseason hype, magazines, numbers that you run, you know, based on past performance, things like that. Uh, there was a you know, a story earlier today, I know we, we saw someone tweeted out talking about how, you know, what would it look like if the SEC didn't make a playoff? And I think our response was when we were just kind of texting, yeah, texting back and forth that that's never going to happen. I mean, where have it looks very similar to the uh, Statue of Liberty head on that beach in the planet? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, it would take <laughs> that's that kind never of, happening. No, that's not going to happen because what? Where have we seen anywhere that this committee would keep an SEC team out? I mean, they go out of their way to find ways to get them in there. I mean, we've shown you don't have to win your conference, you don't have to win your division. You're still getting in if you're the SEC team with one, win, you know, one loss. And well, think if, back, if and think back to how many years. That, when's the last time we've had an SEC team that's had, or at least one SEC team that's had more than you know, one loss? I mean, they've always had at least one or fewer losses. Someone in that conference. That's true. I yeah, don't know, it's been Alabama for quite a long run, undefeated. but yeah, they're they're gonna get somebody in come heck or high water, or we might be on Civil War two as half the conference is you know <laughs> secedes from the NCAA out of you know spite or something like that. So that's. Yeah, that's I just wish you could remove Saban from that equation, just to really see where the SEC is on its own. Sure, you know, I mean, it's just uh, it skews it so badly. Sure, it does seem to. I mean, point to. I mean, right now, I mean, the the elite of college football. It's a combination of a a high profile coach that has seen a lot of success, combined now with a consistent, you know, top five or top ten recruiting class is delivering uh, the lack of parity in that playoff because uh, those schools, it seems almost inevitable that they're only going to have one loss and that's going to put them right there in the discussion every year. Um, not to say that in past decades that it, it's been a relatively narrow pool that can win the national championship, but it's probably more in the 10 to 15 team range. And right now it feels like it's more about four or five almost, right? It's it's pretty limited. Um well, Dave, I, I think to that to that point, we hear so much about parity, and when teams aren't doing well, parity gets that word gets used over and over. Oh, there's so much parity, so much parity. Urban Meyer's seventy three and eight at Ohio State right now, seventy three and eight. For, so, for all the parity and for all the extra uh, scholarships that all the ten Division One schools in the state of Ohio have, and and you know going head to head in the Big Ten East against Jim Harbaugh and Penn State, the uprising of them, and of course Michigan State, you know being historically great right now for their standards, 
for all of that, he's 73 and 8. And for Nick Saban and all the incredible parody and unbelievable teams of the SEC team, SEC. I don't know if you guys have heard this. The SEC is really good. The SEC West <laughs> is the SEC West is the best division in the history of college football. For all of that, wow, he's really kicked the crap out of them. Yeah, he's really kicked true. the crap out of the West. So you think about that. Two of the best divisions, two of the best divisions in college football, the SEC West and the Big Ten East, for as good as they are and as deep as they are, two coaches have destroyed it. There's no there's no parity right now to Urban Meyer and Nick Saban. Yeah, and there's only only a few head coaches that have been able to win a national championship that are active right now. It's a very limited, small mm-hmm. small club there. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of raises the question, I guess, is what will it take for Nebraska or anybody? I mean, throw Michigan on at the end of that sentence. Throw Wisconsin at the end of the sentence. What will it take for some other team to crash that? that club essentially right to win mm-hmm. an, a national championship in in this uh universe of college football that we have today not what we had uh 20 years ago uh you know i, I think it was uh um bruce feldman and, and, and Stu mandel had a had an argument on their podcast of like can the wisconsin model actually deliver a national championship and I think that's very relevant to Nebraska discussions because you could argue that's the Nebraska model in many ways. Alvarez stealing that from, from Devaney and Osborne. And uh, this might be one of their best teams coming up, right? And they have a Heisman Trophy candidate and a running back, great offensive line, quarterback that's better than usual, uh, defense that should be solid. Um, it can win the Big Ten, Maybe definitely win Big Ten West, but can can that model win a national championship? And it makes me always come back to a question we've had many times: is if you look at uh, recruiting and you look at uh, the national champions over the last ten or fifteen years, whether Honky likes it or not, and I don't actually really like it. I don't necessarily I agree with this, but this is really the Stuart Mandel argument: is that if you're not recruiting a top ten type recruiting class year in and year out it's very difficult to win a national championship. Almost impossible, in fact. I mean, really, the only program that's even come close and they failed twice was Oregon. Oregon more in the 15 to 20 type. uh, I'd say Michigan State, too. At least they made the playoff. Well, he makes the argument you can make the playoff with that, and I think Mandel would tell you if he was on this podcast right now, I think Wisconsin can make a playoff. I don't think Wisconsin can win the playoff. There's a difference there. Yeah. So, I mean, whether you want to say Nebraska, if that's just good enough to make the playoff, that's that's a that's a, an elite club in itself. But sure. then there's the next step of winning the national so, championship. So, so Dave, I think the the using Wisconsin as an example, I think is a good one. And the the Husker team of the last 20 years that I'm going to compare to Wisconsin is 2009. And that 2009 defense, I think most people would recognize as being more than good enough to win a, win a national title. My goodness, I mean, we sure we lose what nine to seven to Iowa State because we gave up seven you know seven uh, uh, turnovers. We lose to Virginia Tech because they yeah. kicked five field goals. We lose to Texas in the uh, in the championship game, and we destroyed their offense. But our our offense was historically bad. And what's interesting about that offense we had in 2009 is to go back on the recruiting side of it, we had two four-star quarterbacks, Zach Lee and Cody Green backing him up. Now, traditionally, that's ridiculous for Nebraska. We don't have four-star quarterbacks typically until now. Now we've got Jebbian, we have, we have Martinez. But you go to Armstrong, you go to, to the Taylor Martinez, you go to Joe Gantz, you go to um, – uh, Zach Taylor, mm-hmm. I mean, we've had a history of having pretty decent QB play here without the four stars behind it, at least over the last, uh, last 15, 20 years. And any one of those guys I just mentioned, if you put that quarterback on the 2009 team, that could be a national championship team. That's how good that defense is. I look at Wisconsin right now, and I think that – I don't know how good their defense is this year. That's a, a legitimate question sure. I have right now for they Wisconsin. I know they have a really good offensive line. I don't know that they have a dynamic enough offense that I would I, I can get behind them and say, okay, that Hornerbrook is going to lead them to that title. And I don't know that they have a defense that coming into the season is going to be the one that's going to keep teams down to 10 to 15 points like they've well, let had. Me, let me ask Mac. I mean, uh, whether it's this year or some other year, 
can Wisconsin recruiting at, at the the pace that they do, which is more in the 30 or 40s national rank, can a system win them a Big Ten title and actually have them then compete for a national championship? Oh yeah, I, I definitely think you know that was well within striking distance for them, and 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 frankly, their recruiting has picked up a little bit, and they are starting to reap a little bit of the benefits, and I think they're starting to see quite frankly, that what is separating them, their base is solid. They, they, they recruit the in-state guys, they get those sawed-off dudes, and they turn them into monsters on the line. And then, and then they get the, their linebacker mold that they're doing. But what they're finding is a couple of elite recruits here and there will push them over. And, and, and that's kind of where they're at with things. They've built up enough time, enough culture, enough base that they're only a couple elite players away from in striking distance. And it and that is very similar to what you would say Osborne was in the 90s. You know, it, we were very good. We were always within striking distance. You get a guy like Tommy Frazier, you get a Lawrence Phillips, you get a you get a Grant Winstrom and you get those or, or Jason Peter and you get those guys to coalesce at the same time. That's really all it takes. I mean, that, that's really all it takes. You know, that, that, now that's magic in a <laughs> it's bottle. It's that easy, really. You know, that's magic in a bottle. But, but to say it's not possible, you know, well, that's I, the beauty I, I, of I, the numbers. Yeah, I don't know. The, yeah, Boomer, go ahead. I'm, I'm kind of torn with this. You know, I'd like to think, you know, Wisconsin's just that one player, that one elite quarterback away from, you know, having a team that's capable of winning the playoffs or, you know, winning a national title. But... I mean, I'd argue we've seen a Wisconsin team with an elite quarterback at the college level at one point. I mean, what was it, 2011? They had Russell Wilson. They were, they had a great quarterback play there. And what did that team do? They lost, what, three games, if I remember correctly? I but it was like one that, year yeah. we had with them. But, yeah, I mean, I, we had I, Tommy I, Frazier for three. Well, Mac, I think what, what Boomer's getting at there is is what the numbers actually say. And I, 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 I and numbers are only a part of the story, but... Um, the numbers say that uh, no team like Wisconsin who recruits, even if it's a top 25, has ever, in, in this era, in the last two decades, that we've actually really got recruiting rankings and all that type of stuff, and we can dive into the the myths of, of recruiting rankings as well, because I'm on your side, guys. I'm just I'm doing raw numbers right. here that no team with that type of recruiting rankings has ever won a national championship. So it's, just, my, it's never happened. My take with – I'm going to take a different take on, uh, on Russell Wilson there. First off, he was a two-star, if that means anything. Not that it should, but he was a two-star coming out of high school. But on top of that, he's a different kind of QB than Wisconsin has had. They don't have – they haven't they traditionally – They haven't recruited that since. They haven't, and they haven't recruited it since. They didn't recruit it before and my sure. thinking with, with this whole question with like Wisconsin is, can you win national titles right now with drop back traditional NFL QBs? Because you're not seeing a lot of that right now at not that playoff and national championship. Yeah. Even Bama's switched now over the last five years. Bama's made that switch. Yeah. Tacos are- and and you look at LSU going after Joe Burrow and getting him in there. I mean, these teams are not unless you're USC right now, and USC isn't exactly playing for national titles, but unless you're USC, I don't see a lot of those style QBs, and that's what Wisconsin, that's what Iowa, those schools run those traditional dropback ones, that's what we were doing under Riley, and it drove me crazy, because that's just not the style of QB, nothing against Tanner Lee, it's just not the style of QB that if I was a defensive coordinator, I'd be scared by, and and I think, when I think of Russell Wilson at, at Wisconsin, I thought of kind of a magical year where they were pretty darn good. I know they lost three games, Boomer, but one of them was also on a, you know, a hail mary against. I think you know, two of them were Michigan they, didn't State. They have two hail mary yeah. losses or something like that. But it was close. If you give, but, yeah. if you would have had two or three years of Russell Wilson at Wisconsin, and and for, again, he's a two star guy. So throw out all the stars, right? If you give two to three years in a row where they could build yeah. a system around him, that could have been scary. That's the thing I when guess, I think of. Yeah, two, I guess that brings the, thing brings that the question Wisconsin, back full circle. Then I mean. There are quarterbacks Wisconsin recruits, and the style of offense they like to run isn't going to win them a national title. So I guess that answers the question that Wisconsin, as it is, as they play, isn't going to win a national championship. Um, I don't know. I'm not willing to say that. And, and, and the other thing we're missing, too, is there have been several coaching changes within this whole time frame of even Russell well, true, but it's Wisconsin changed what they've done. It's Barry Alvarez, it's Alvarez right. running the it's show. They haven't changed. Program, so, no, my, my point coaches. is that, uh, 
my point is that there's been a few interruptions on how coaches and and yes, I do think they have changed in their recruiting philosophy, and I think Chris has a lot to do with that. So whether their whether recruiting rankings go up and that's a result of their previous successes and that's a natural manifestation of winning more games, or if they're actually going after these higher recruiting or higher ranked recruits, I don't know. But you can't tell me they're not close. I, I just you can't tell me they're not close. I, I and I don't want to just focus this on Wisconsin. I just think in yeah. general, look at Penn State as an example. Hackenberg for all the four stars and everything he had behind him, or five stars for cripe sakes, and then think of what they have right now. Um, McSorley, you know, yeah, he was honk, a three- I totally that- you can you can isolate single players all the time and say five stars failed and two stars succeeded. All times, I don't care about that. Obviously. I'm not getting into I've, that. I'm getting yeah, into, you just did actually. No, what I <laughs> no, you didn't let me finish then because McSorley brings something different. It goes back to my can a drop back NFL style QB win a title? And I'm telling you that the five star. The five-star guy that, that, that Penn State had that was a drop-back dude that, that Nebraska beat when we played him, or McSorley, who he could be a five-star. It doesn't matter what the star is. It just so happens McSorley's a three-star. But McSorley brings something different. And in college football right now, I'll take mobility out of that QB position any day over a drop-back seven-step guy. Was a walk-on, so. Yeah, so I will take that let's, any day. Let's take this back to Nebraska then because that's really my point. Okay. In the sense that Frost was a part of Oregon and that program with two national championship game appearances, uh, two shots at it. They were very close at winning. And Oregon would – Boomer, you could probably find this out, but somewhere averaging maybe top 15 recruiting classes. Um, everybody else who's been in the national high? title game, except yeah. like Auburn, I want to say – uh, all those schools, even higher than that. But that's about where, where Oregon w- was recruiting at. Let's let's move that forward with some of the guys that Frost are, are bringing in. And I, I think uh, the guy, uh, was it Matthew Anderson, is that right? Who's a, a no-star guy that we're all saying probably should at least be a three-star guy. He's a different type of body. You're going to build him up. It's a different philosophy here. Some of these, these uh, speedsters that we're getting are three-star guys, they're they're going you know being recruited by by some power five some group of five they're not absolutely elite we've got some guys on the board and maybe by the end of this class we're going to end up going to have a bunch of rivals 250 guys in our class i don't know but right now we don't have that many of them frost seems to be taking an approach of like i want pure speed and i want linemen that i can you know put good good weight on and they can be in the program for three years, and, and that's going to deliver me the team that I want. And I'm not doubting that right now. I have no, no reason to doubt his, his approach. It sounds probably similar to what Oregon did and why their recruiting classes were a little bit lower than some of the elite programs they ultimately competed for national chi- titles against. Is, do you feel like, like that? How good of recruiting does Nebraska have to have to win a national championship under Frost, can it be a top top twenty five? Does it need to be top ten? I, I think it. If we're being honest, it, it needs to be top fifteen. I mean, you can point to Oregon, and you, like you said, Dave, you want to look at the raw numbers. Oregon didn't win a national championship. They, they played in a couple, but they didn't win any. And so something wasn't quite enough there, and that's what the Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback. So, no. They need to do more. We're, we're gonna have to. They're gonna have to bust through. If, if that's recruiting a higher caliber, if that's developing a little bit more. But but I, I I feel like we need to recruit a higher caliber. Now where that is, is that a higher caliber lineman? Is that a higher caliber quarterback? Is that a higher caliber wide receiver? I don't know. I I have a feeling it will be uh, the, where we'll make hay and where we'll separate ourselves from the Big Ten West will be how we can recruit quarterback, dual threat quarterbacks how we can recruit these duck R position guys and really separate ourselves with those guys. But we, what they've done previously, Oregon's history, UCF's history, none of it has, you're right, has never manifested in a championship. So they're going to have to do more. I, I, th- what I'll say is I think, well, we've already, for what it's worth, I guess if we're just talking recruiting rankings, we've already differentiated ourselves from the Big Ten West as is, right? Sure. But – when comparing Oregon and Nebraska right now, it's a little hard because you're talking about every single team out there. I don't care who you are. 
Riley made a huge deal about the 500 mile radius, but everyone has a 500 mile radius. The difference with Oregon and Nebraska is our 500 mile radius, which is every bit as important as Alabama. It's every bit as important as USC. It's every bit as important as Ohio State. But when we get guys from our 500 mile radius, they're just not, generally speaking, going to be rated as high. Nick Heinrich right now from Omaha Burke has every single school in the country going after him, and he's still stuck in a three-star spot. I don't know why. Doesn't, yeah. it, it just doesn't matter, right? So the point is, is that I don't think we have to be top 15 because I don't even know what that means in some cases, but I think top 25. Let's just say top 25. If nothing else, I'll go back to where we were at 25 years ago under Osborne. We tended to usually be a top 25 recruiting class. Every once in a while, we had a really good top 10 one for some reason, and then there were years where Osborne was irked because we were ranked by Tom Lemming or Blue Chip Central or one right, of those yeah. stupid you know services back then, <laughs> and we were rated like 28, and Osborne would get all frustrated by it. But I mean, you would, but you would, they were right though. I mean, well, it took a Fraser, it took a Phillips, it took a, it took a Winstrom, it took a Peter, it took like those guys were big time recruits. And, all of those guys, and were. it, and it took a Keneally and it took I mean I could we can go back and forth but they've always had Keneally but the thing is Nebraska Nebraska is Nebraska we don't need four stars up and down the entire line no 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 one thinks that I agree and so what I we need the right guys from outside that 500 mile radius we need a clear amount of guys from inside of it and right now we've got to win the West before we can win the national title. Winning the West is we've got to beat Iowa and Wisconsin on a regular basis. Right now we're 0-9 the last three years against those schools. And those schools, when I think of a guy like Ben Stilley that we brought up earlier, and look how this guy got developed, and this guy looks like a stud. That guy looks like a player that should be at Iowa and not Nebraska if you look at the last couple of years. Right. And by the way, he picked us over Iowa who offered him first. Nebraska needs to absolutely dominate and it's not just the in-state stuff. I've made a huge deal about we've got to you know, get every Nebraska kid. No, we need to go into Iowa and get the Trev Alberts. We need to go into Missouri and get the Grant Wistroms. We need to continue. That's, Nebraska has to dominate those parts of the country. That's the 500-mile radius. Kill that area. Get every yeah. one of those great players that we can out of those areas. And then, yes, we're going to get you, you get those individual guys outside of that, that the Wisconsin's, and this is where I'll tie it back to what you, you brought up originally, Dave. No, I don't, I don't think Wisconsin is going to win a title because I just don't think they will. They haven't done it in all these years, and they've had a pretty good formula, and they've just consistently shown that they can't get the one or two people that take them over the top. I don't know why, but it's the same exact thing. They are just, they've been a little bit more successful than Iowa. But, no, but at the end of that's a that's a slap to Wisconsin's face. <laughs> <laughs> they've been a little bit more successful than Iowa. Iowa. Well, they, they've been Iowa. a little – well, okay, not they've been – Not a little. That's not even close. Okay, but they're in the same boat as what Iowa is right now. They're in the exact same championship. But, I mean, well, that's okay, everybody. so how, yeah, how many is, more yeah. playoffs has Wisconsin made than Iowa right now? How many more – you know, I, I, they've won some Big There's Ten. Four. My point, my point is they run into the same limitation that Iowa has been running into. Which is they bring they get the best out of their players. They have a really solid system. They, in fact, Iowa's had more stability in the coaches, which don't even go into that. But the point is, is that at the end of the day, the results don't always look that different. They don't. Iowa I, can go I, twelve and zero one year. I, it's one year. I, but, but my Wisconsin point is, they doesn't have the as many issue. down years as Iowa. Uh, you're, so. you're, but you I, 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 I get I your point. Like you get your point. Not any, you, you on are a consistency cr- level. We're not I, my about point is, you're de- that both of those schools deal with the same issue. Do you feel any more confident that Wisconsin is going to win a national title than than Iowa is? Yes. I if I had to bet on it, I mean, you'd bet Wisconsin oh, before well, yeah, Iowa. Yeah, I, mean, I would take, bet Wisconsin or I, I mean, I, Yeah, for sure, I'd take Wisconsin over Iowa. I, I, I'm not convinced either of them will, but. Okay, so why, why not, yeah. Boomer? That's a good – why aren't you convinced that either one of them will? Well, I've already covered that. If Wisconsin's doing everything better, why aren't they going to win one? Well, we've already covered Iowa. that. They just they just aren't. They just don't have that recruiting class. And kind of getting okay. back to what Dave was talking about, I grabbed some numbers here real quick. Uh, like Oregon, they played in the 2014 uh, uh, title game. Their classes for the prior three years were – or excuse me, four years were 13th, 12th, 13th, and 19th. So kind of That's an example. That's actually a there. lot better than I thought. Yeah, it was better than that. That's pretty good. And just some quick numbers I crunched together from 2003 to 2016. Your average winners, um, your average ranking for recruiting classes was 12th, 8th, 8th, 5th, 8th, 5th, 8th, 16th. It was an outlier with Auburn in 2010. Uh, yep. 3rd, 2nd, 6th, 4th, 1st, and then Clemson actually was 13th in 2016. So 
Yeah. If you're not in the top 15, it's really hard, it seems. Yeah, with a five-star quarterback. I, yeah. You know, I think that, to Honky's point about some of this, I, I think, A, if Nebraska returns to that level at some point, at least initially, it's inevitable that our recruiting classes are going to be lower because I think Frost and company has already proven the fact that they're willing to recruit guys that are off the radar, whether it's an in-state guy or some guy in Louisiana that's a no-star. They don't care. They they trust their own evaluation, and they're looking for certain things. So we're probably going to have a lower recruiting class to begin with just because of the mix of guys we're willing to take. But I think, and, and this is probably reiterating what Honky and Mac have mentioned about rivals over the last year of this podcast, is you know sometimes when Alabama suddenly offers some guy, they go jump from a three- to a four-star just because rivals – you know, has that much uh, appreciation for the talent evaluation of Nick Saban and you company, bet. right? Sure. If Frost starts proving that he's a really good talent evaluator, which I think he already is, you watch has that, in Dave. Some degree, That's a great point. Yep. Or, a great you know, Nebraska point. is just going to rise up the recruiting rankings because they think Frost is a you know has a good eye for talent. Right? That's a great point, Dave, because you've already seen that in some of the like the 2020 quarterback that we're going after, that Smothers kid. All of a sudden, Frost gets hot on him, and now Urban Meyer comes a calling. Yep, mean, you're gonna want. That was a great point. Yep. Great, great point, Dave. You watch that. That'll that'll start shifting. So then, is it a result of Frost's elite evaluation skills, or are we are we actually recruiting higher it's, quality? Did Nebraska all of a sudden get better football players in the state? I don't know. Or did our rankings start to drop once we started? I, and that's the other thing. There's just so much that goes into the recruiting rankings that's that's suspect to begin with, and there's an SEC tilt on all that. And make no mistake, the South has a ton of talent. Make no mistake, but yep. but some of that stuff is skewed, which is why I don't I, I don't take such a hard line on a Wisconsin never making it. Yeah. I just don't see that. I will say this because uh, because I was on the losing end of the four of us on the Iowa Wisconsin thing. But Boomer, I'd like you to run some numbers <laughs> of how did since we're talking about recruiting classes and how how much better Wisconsin is. I'm curious how Wisconsin versus Iowa recruiting over the last ten years. Oh, uh, I don't think there's up. a big difference there. I think it's very similar. Pretty, it's pretty I, I sure the there's win-loss not. record is different. I, I would bet that they're. I would bet that they're within ten to fifteen spots of each other. With Easy. Wisconsin being in favor so, every and, time. And though. so my point is, because we started this whole conversation off with the Wisconsin thing, is what is the difference between Wisconsin and Iowa? What? What? Why is Wisconsin so? With all the coaching changes that they've had that you've brought up, why is Wisconsin running almost an identical system to Iowa? Right. I don't think people would look at it and go, it's it's drastically different. Pro style QB. They just don't Barry have Alvarez is a they better CEO Barry than C. Kirk Friends. I would say if, if Iowa I'm gonna go back to my original point where I think I'm absolutely right here. Is <laughs> the mobile QBs. Wait a minute. Stop this. Mo- Mark it on the tape. Go ahead. Go mobile ahead. QBs. If I'm Iowa, I would go back to more Brad Banks. And if if they had more of that style of QB and that mobile QB that's the stuff that, that absolutely – I think that's the difference on offense that keeps teams right now from winning titles or not. You need a mobile QB. You need a dominating defense. If you can get those two things, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Okay, here's some numbers for you, Honky. So this is a 24-7 sports composite rankings for Wisconsin starting 2018 working backwards. Uh, 43, 39, 35, 41, 32, 40, 65, 44, and 46. That takes back to 2010. That's probably far enough. Okay, that's, that's fair. fair enough. Iowa, 39, 41, 47, 59, 58, 56, 40, 26 somehow, and 36. So they are pretty is that similar. that the Noah Fant year? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So no way Iowa can compete with Wisconsin upper recruiting. No, I I, I think <laughs> no, recruiting I, wise, you hit it a hawk. They're the same I, same I, recruiting I said philosophy. It was within ten spots. You know, I guess I guess hockey that that go. You know, it just it's the win loss yeah, record. I mean, I mean Iowa sure, has I mean. more down years than whiskey. That's all there is to it. Wisconsin's more consistent. You ask but, why? But, I don't know. But, you can ask. But them. The, the 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 whole crux of this conversation was started with recruiting. And so, if recruiting is the way to fix that, if it's the if it's the way that's gonna you're gonna win a national title because of recruiting, or you're gonna get better because of recruiting, and I brought up that Iowa and Wisconsin are to me essentially they're they're in the same boat. They they have the same issues. Sure, I, I think you could also take I, and Boomer, you could find some team that's comparable to Nebraska. Nebraska probably averages around a a, a class rank of twenty five over the last ten years yeah. or something like that. 
and you could probably find some other program that's done more that has similar average class ranking and has done more than us. Can I right? say something you though? You probably could take someone there that's is done no, less. There's nothing comparable to Nebraska. And I, I don't want to wax poetic about 50 dun, years, dun, dun, but there's dun, dun, not. Dun, 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 there's dun, not. Dun, dun. The Sorry. issue that Nebraska has had isn't about recruiting rankings right now. We're not losing to Iowa and Wisconsin because of recruiting rankings. And boom, I agree with you that. Just mentioned I'm not arguing that. The things that are going to. The things that get Nebraska better are not the things that get Texas and Ohio State better. You that's just the got difference. Honky's Irish way up, and, and that's. <laughs> but it's it's the reality of it. Nebraska's getting out Nebraska when we've gone zero and nine the last three years against Wisconsin and and Iowa. Nebraska still can go. I hate people that sit there and say, "Do you know that Nebraska has to recruit nationally?" Oh no, crap, idiot! Of course we have to recruit nationally. We're Nebraska. We do, but hey, you know Hockey, what? Could I ask a question? We've gone really and quick. got four-star quarterbacks and four-star running backs and four-star receivers from every nook and cranny of this country. It it starts it's, in that 500, but so, nobody respects that. So our nobody sole respects issue, it when we say we have to get that 500-mile radius. Our sole down. issue, or they is, haven't been respected. Our that. sole issue is a lack of identity, then, yes. and a lack of player development. That can uh, one, be the only one hundred. Those are two issues, really. Us. That's not a sole issue. That would be two issues. Yeah. Well, which one? Actually, which I agree with both oh, of those. Oh, are issues. you asking a question? Which lack one of those of two? Lack of identity okay. or, or lack of player mm. development. Which one? Well, if you don't have an identity, got, if, you if you don't if you don't have an identity, you can't develop players to something. I mean, what are you developing to? If you have no idea what you want to be, that, totally that makes fair. It tough. Totally agree. So I think that's probably a starting point. You have to have that. So. Well, yeah, you got to know what you want to do to develop them. So those yeah. those two things are firmly in place right now, right? At least, okay, I should say, exactly. identity is yeah. definitely in place. We know yeah. what Frost's uh, idea of a team is going to be, and we know that the program that Duvall has these players put into has done nothing but churn out amazing results. So one could say, if our recruiting rankings are worth what we're saying they are, and we're all using this this data saying, well, if, if you recruit to this level, then you're you're guaranteed this level of success as long as A and B happen too. Well, if we're if we're hitting those, then how far away are we from? I, I would say we. Well, I'd recru- like. I'm sorry, Dave. I, sorry, Dave. I just want to clarify. I, you, you hit some certain level of uh, recruiting success doesn't mean that you're going to be successful on the field. Those numbers are just a simple threshold. I mean, USC has recruited a top 10 class probably for the last 10 years, and they have not played for a national title. There's tons of examples of that. Correct. It it doesn't mean anything if you can't do anything with those players or have the coaching to develop them, et cetera. I'm just saying there's a baseline there where if if you can prove that that statistical uh, data wrong in the future – so be it. That's awesome. If Nebraska can win a national title by recruiting in the 40s or Wisconsin can, that's going to be awesome. It just hasn't happened over the last I, 15 years. I am that's curious, all my point. Dave. It's not really that. I, I, I am curious about this, and I don't even know if these stats would be available, but like when Oklahoma won the title in 2001, I think this would be the example you're kind of coming to, Dave. Like if Nebraska could win it next year, in year two of Frost, we win the national title, then we would have this outlier of stats where you know we would have a bunch of – 20s and 30s and 40s for recruiting rankings, right? Right. And that team won it. I don't know what Oklahoma was there. I know everyone said Blake was a great recruiter, Blake but was a great recruiter. I don't. But I don't know he that. Is a great recruiter. I don't know that those. Maybe they did, but I don't know that those no. classes reflected that at the time. I just don't know that. My point is, is that so Frost. Fast forward two years, we win the title in two years. We're going to be an outlier for that one season because it's going to be this weird, you know, high, you know, all these kind of lower rated classes. But then that becomes the thing like Saban where, well, Frost won in two years, and now everyone that we start to recruit becomes gold. and well, every, yeah, that, that, Everyone becomes a four- and five-star, yeah, and everything's the, a moot point anyways. The model now, will adjust to itself, yeah the, yeah. the matrix will recalibrate. And that's kind of the BS behind the recruiting. If you're already good, then every guy you get is going to be rated a four-star. And then, shockingly, all Saban wins is, you know, he wins all these games with a bunch of four-stars. Well, because everyone he goes and gets, if they aren't a four-star, they become one. So, I mean, it's just yeah. – it's a it's a self-repeating system, and it goes back to the very first thing we talked about, which is all this parity. But, no, there's not. There's, like, two or three or only th- four coaches right now that even have a Freshman title. lockers, guys. <laughs> Freshman <laughs> lockers. So, Why uh, can't we just understand? I, I, 
Why does it take one July more, to get us crazy what? like this? One more question for a honky. And Boomer, Are maybe you, you can sure help me clarify this. Are you sure you want to ask honky this. one more question? Oh, I do. This no, no, it's just a simple this. clarification, really. <laughs> okay, okay. honky. Yes. Can yes. you please repeat your your stat? Because I know you're so good at stats. Uh, we are 0 and 9, 0 and 9 versus Wisconsin and Iowa over the last three years. Is that right? Correct. When we, yeah, under Riley. Yep. Uh, so, so. Oh, I'm me, sorry. I included. Oh, so I included we played the, them how many times in the last three years? I'm sorry. I. I uh, oh shoot! I was including Northwestern. We actually beat them once. We were one and eight against Northwestern, Iowa, and Wisconsin. Thank you. This is what, what's the ESPN show where they do a fact checker at the end? I don't watch ESPN. Doesn't matter. Nope. So yeah. we, my point was, we were one and eight against the the big three in our division that we were. Um, gotcha. But we're zero hey, and six to answer Dave's question. Snarky. Uh, we were zero and six against the two teams that uh, we have Just destroyed sure in recruiting. You knew I was listening. That's all. That's buddy. right. Uh, do we have a mailbag that we could wrap this whole thing up with a pretty bow and then? Uh, Exit. You know what? That uh, we had a couple, but I'm just going to pick the the one here that uh, Devin Montague. He asked one today. Um, how long can you realistically see this class or the staff completely staying together? All ten coaches and Duvall. That's a great question. It is a great question. And the answer is one year. You got, I mean, how can you possibly look past? a year at a time with any coaching staff. It's a miracle to me that the staff is together today. I mean, every single one of these guys, and if, boy, if we show any success, I mean, they, they, What's, they're going to Can you repeat the it. question exactly, Honk? I want to make sure I... Okay. How long can you realistically see this staff completely staying together, all 10 coaches, and Duvall? Something so that they've a, done the last two years, at least. Right. So, Three. to Max's point... If we're successful, I, I could potentially seeing them somehow stay together for two years. It's a that if there's any sort of lag there, if we don't take off right away, then they could stay together a little bit longer than that. But if we're successful after a year two, Troy Walters and and maybe a few others could be on to, to greener pastures. Uh, I don't think Zach Duvall is going anywhere. No I, mean, he, I think he's he's there for the long haul. But and a few others would be, but. I, I mean, and to Max's point, it could happen after one year. But I think the question is, how long could it last? To me, if they're successful, two years is about as long as it'll last. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. And it, even if they're not successful, I'd imagine in two years you'd have changes that have to be made because you can't start dragging this out for, you know, if things aren't working in two years and we're going into year three and we're still four and eight, five and seven, yeah, you're going to have to make changes somewhere. So There's one way or another, I think two years is probably your ceiling for how long this staff stays together. Yeah. There's obviously some unique qualities this staff has for them to even be together this long together and to make this move to Nebraska. When you're talking about South Florida guys coming all the way to the middle of the country to do this kind of deal, it speaks to what they what they feel like they're a part of when they're with Scott Frost and his coaching staff. So that that might buy us another year or so, but, I mean, we are still – I don't know. When's the last year we've had a defensive backs coach two years <laughs> in a row? I mean, it's just not – well, I don't even know. I, I can't even point, remember Mac. all I think, our coaches. So I do think that these guys that came from South Florida – or Central Florida, willing to stick around with Frost longer than you'd expect. Several of the ones that don't have head coaching um, eyes on them, uh, like like Sean Becton, may think this is a, a great location for, for many years. But there's a few out there, especially Walters, who probably are looking for, for bigger opportunities, right? Yeah. DeWitt uh, uh, made a statement, the outside linebackers coach made a statement about just how rare it is right now for them to even be in a third year together, regardless of the fact right. that they switched schools. He made a statement on that, that Nebraska tour a couple weeks ago that it was really unique, and and it is. Um, that said, I don't know how important it is, to be honest with you, that this staff stays together all completely intact for the next five years. It was really important for this year. Year one, it's really important. It's a huge benefit to us. But by year two already, if one guy or two guys or whatever leave, the, the other thing is we, we know a lot, a lot about longevity as Husker fans that are old enough to remember the Osborne years because Osborne, no one ever left. Well, yeah, they did. 
You know, we won a national title in 94, and then Kevin Steele goes off and, right. and he leaves. We win a national title in 95, and then Tony Samuels goes off and leaves. It's not like there was never movement. Movement can be really good on this staff in a year or two if it means that guys are highly sought after because they're doing a great job. That's a heck of a lot different scenario than what you were talking about, Boomer, where, you know, we go five and seven and you have to make a change anyways. So, I mean, if this staff does what it's supposed to do, there should be movement. And the the guys that stick around, I mean, it, the if we're going to – hey, let's go back to what I said. We're going to win a national title in year two, right, under Frost. Well, if that happens, then Shenander and Walters see you because your head coach is somewhere, right? Yeah. But then the point is – then does a guy like Barrett Rude get that step up and become the next D coordinator? Does Ryan Held become the offensive coordinator? Whatever it is, you know, we want to be able to promote from within in those cases. Yeah. I think that's how Frost would like to do it. But you got to get to there first. That's how this staff is a little uniquely situated as well, though, because it, Ryan Held has obviously shown that he would move all across the country to be, to be coaching. You the know? guy and, and lived he, in the panhandle of Oklahoma. Right. He's been a head coach. He's been a coordinator. Now he's a running backs coach. You know, he's moving all over the place. But, but like, how many guys on here have higher aspirations? I think Troy Walters, obviously the offensive coordinator, yeah. he wants he has aspirations to do bigger, better things. Chenander, though, I mean, you could see that guy being a defensive coordinator for a long time. You know, he just seems to be really – he really values the, you know, being under frost right now. And he, he's probably a ways away from moving on. But but held, you know, if, if, if Walters goes on – Held's a natural step up to that offensive coordinator position. You know, guys like De- like Dewitt, Verdusco. You know, he he hung around. Uh, yeah, Mara Iowa, not going like anywhere. Northern Iowa for like what eight years. And, and I mean, I, that guy doesn't show any history of, of of jumping around a lot of jobs. And I think you want to find certain guys. I brought up Osborne staff, so bring it up again here. There are certain guys that Samuels and and Steele were good examples, or Kiffin. You know, there are guys that over the years. They were, they were trying to move up the ladder. Then there were go- always going to be some guys, Tenniper, uh, Dan Young. There were guys that, you know, George Arlington, they weren't interested in moving Greg around. Greg Austin is going to be hard Greg- to hold on to. Greg Austin's probably the – of our young coaches, Barrett Rude, Greg Austin, those two guys are the ones we need to hold on to, I think, the hardest. Well, I just think fr- from just pure former Huskers, just that alone, I think there's this immediate – yeah, I think there's this immediate feeling like, oh, well, Barrett Rude would never go anywhere. He's the next Husker. He's back in Lincoln. He's in the promised land. Oh, no, he'll go somewhere if, if there's the right opportunity and all that. The other thing is let's just talk money just for a second because as, as wonderful as I think Lincoln is, and I, and I truly believe it is, it still costs money to keep guys here. And Ohio State, a nice article that just came out today, talked about how they just upped their assistant coaching pool. I think it was like another $3.4 million on top of what they were paying. Wow. It's re- and that's on top of a one-point-some million-dollar raise that Meyer was getting. So for his every- that's because Ohio sucks. But 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 for it, <laughs> but it's not just the, the point is bump. Meyer's seventy-three and eight there, right? I mentioned that earlier. So for yes. all the success and for all the benefits of all the recruits they have right there, and everything that's great about being an Ohio State guy, boy, they had to pay these guys even more on top of what they're paying a seven hundred thousand-dollar raise alone to the defensive coordinator Shiano. He's That's making $1.5 million. $1 million is getting paid to their offensive coordinator. So both of their coordinators are making seven figures now at Ohio State. But that's what they felt they had to do to keep those guys around. So the point is, guys just aren't going to stay just because we're winning. We can go and win the national title in year two under Frost, and I approve that. <laughs> but even if we do, that's no guarantee that guys are just going to stick around. Yeah, you know? that's fair enough. So to fair answer enough. your question, a 45th ranking recruiting class is not <laughs> going to win a national championship. <laughs> it's just well, not, now that that's not going up. to work. I don't, They're paying them – they just, I, I'm, that's hey, I'm following Mike Riley down to San Antonio, so this I don't care anyways. This is my last podcast. So. <laughs> All right, Hunk. Why don't we uh, take this out with Snake some uh, parting shots? All right. Do you want me to start? Yes. All right. Fine. Um, we talk a lot about football and basketball and baseball, but this is obviously mostly. We try not to. This is all football tonight. <laughs> um, but we have this other good program we know about called Volleyball. And a couple of things I wanted to talk about from the last few weeks. One of them, John Cook getting a very well-deserved raise from 600 to 675 k Nobody should argue with that. Uh, he also just brought in Riley Gray. And when you talk about the 500-mile radius, yeah. this is an all-American girl from, uh, from Elkhorn South. And one of the things I thought about, and we've talked about this with basketball guys, is that 
you know, back in the days of the 90s, we used to have those Nebraska Bison team that would go around the country and they would win all these AAU tournaments. Well, that's what, like, she's on this Nebraska Elite 15 Revolution volleyball team that finished second at some huge tournament in Orlando. So Nebraska volleyball has created this system. It funnels down. They're unbelievable at the college level, but it's funneled into all the high schools, all the AAU. It's so ridiculous. Isn't it crazy? That, like, that people think, we've got... Sorry. We well well think I'm about sorry. I, well no Mac you know we have no talent in football right but uh, amazing baseball basketball <laughs> football we've got play, people contributing across yeah all sports in different areas yeah football just, football's the only yeah. sport that our state apparently can't yeah. get four stars in because volleyball that they're they're falling out of every everything but anyway so congrats to, to everything that's going on with volleyball I can't wait to watch them and um, the other thing I did want to mention. It is June 9th as we're recording this. It's Brooke Berenger's 45th. July. Or July. July. July 9th. Uh, it's Brooke Berenger's, uh, it would be his 45th birthday today. Just wanted to, to bring that up. I, I posted something on, on Twitter about that. We were actually in Goodland, Kansas a couple years ago and took some photos at at the, the cemetery there. And it's really cool. They have a really nice Nebraska kind of memorial around it. So just wanted to bring that up. And, I mean, my gosh, I can't believe it's been as long as it's been. But it's crazy. Took the kids to the stadium the other day and, and trying to explain who Brooke Banninger was based on that statue was kind of that's like, awesome. That was, was interesting. I mean, it's a big moment in Husker football, in <laughs> Husker history, I guess I should say. But unbelievable. Yeah. All right, Mac, what do you got? Um, just want to say, um, my sister went to the Husker Ladies 101 camp, had a blast. She said that the staff was fantastic. He came out, you know, they had them fielding different punts and, and doing different things but she said the one thing that stuck to my mind was she said that every coach came out there and talked about what a big deal it is to have the in on the chest when they go anywhere it's, it's such a point of pride and and how much um they they love being within the husker nation again they even you know i know it's probably for the camp but they bragged about how husker ladies don't ask stupid questions like a couple of them asked you know how much more <laughs> you know the zone we're gonna do versus man-to-man and you know they're th- talking about the the benefits of a 3-4 defense versus the 4-3 like some of these are the questions that were being asked of them and cross cool. was just like oh one of the questions was a really good one it was like do you ever see a female coach in Division One football, and they asked that to Frost, which we all know, Frost's mom was a was a football coach. Oh, yeah, she's like, you know, he's like, I've never been asked that question before, but I'm a huge fan of it. My mom taught me how to how to throw a football, how to catch, blah blah blah. She goes, I was looking at my baby book the other day, and on the back page of my baby book, they from like age two on were my forty times that my mom recorded for me. She's like, <laughs> so do awesome. I think do I think women could be coaching in the Division One level? Absolutely. So I think he got a big round of applause for that. But it, it wasn't even, you know, it's believable. It's, it's awesome. It's, it's not. It's, it's not, awesome. It's, he's, he's telling the truth. That's cool. All right. Uh, Boomer. Uh, two parters here. First off, I'd like to give a shout out to uh, the Husker Men's Hockey Club. They actually uh, won the uh, Silver Division of the ACHA Division Three. And it was nice of the uh, Journal Star to finally notice that. Uh, they had an article there at the end of June, despite the fact they won the uh, conference somewhere in February. But, you know, it's the Journal Star, and it's the crack kind of reporting we can expect from them. It's World Cup year, Mike. It is, it is. It keeps them distracted. So, And the uh, second thing I'd like to say is uh, I know, uh, Redcasters, you've spoken, and we have listened. So during the month of August, um, we will be doing a, a four-part breakdown. Honky will be investigating the... <laughs> Martin Heidegger's Introduction to Metaphysics. I know you were all interested in existentialism uh, with our poll results the other day, so you can all look forward to that. On this podcast, we obey the laws of thermonuclear dynamics. Uh, all right, guys. Well, with with that, I think we'll take the rest of July off. Yes, And please. we will be cool ready to, to attack... Um, uh, Fall camp on August 3rd. We'll be back in August with a full slate of Redcast episodes as we uh, kick off the Frost era in earnest. All right, guys. uh, Let's call that a Go Big Redcast. I duck our baby. Quack, quack. Two-a-days. Culture. Culture.